Well, hi, Shine Church. Um, my name is Lauren Stone, and I'm a member of the teaching team here at Shine. Um, so it is, it's really a privilege to get to come and share with you guys, um, to get to seek the Lord and to pray for you and to hear from the Lord. Um, and I'm excited about what he has for us to talk about tonight. Um, let's open again in prayer, uh, because I like praying. <laughs> um, Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here with us. Um, We thank you just for your sweet presence, that it is, um, it calms us, that there is a stillness in your presence uh, that we don't find anywhere else. We thank you that, that in this place, regardless of where we came from, that we can come and sit with you, and it's a place of rest. Lord, I ask that as we um, talk tonight, as we see what your word has to, to speak to us tonight, that we would just stay in that place of, of rest with you, of receiving from you, of being yours, being loved by you. And Lord, we ask that you would stir up in our hearts um, that hunger and that desire for you, that we would go out um, more fruitful, living more fruitfully than than when we came in. I just ask you to speak tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us for a while, you know that in 2023, we are talking, we've began a series called Come With Me. And we began the first couple of months uh, by talking about preparing the way, preparing our hearts, um, getting rid of some distractions and some idols in our hearts that would keep us from joyfully following the call of God. And last week, we began transitioning into a kind of new part of this series called Following the Call. And we talked about when Jesus calls us, it's not, um, when, he's, when he called to his disciples, come with me, it wasn't an authoritative, like, directive. But he was saying, come with me. I want to invite you into something with me. I want you to invite you to know the love of the Father. And so this week, we're going to continue looking at that, and we're going to look at what is the call of God on our lives. Like, if we're going to be following the call, what is the call? Right? And I think when I look back over my life, my conversations with people in the body of Christ, um, and even my own life, it is possible that um, this topic, more than any other, elicits a certain amount of anxiety and self-doubt in our walk with God. Because we sit around going, man, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm following the call of God. I don't know. I mean, I hope I am. And so tonight, I hope that the Lord can bring some peace into that place of anxiety. Um, one of the reasons that I think we have this anxiety is because a lot of times when we come to the word of God, um, we have kind of a cultural understanding of what a word means. And we overlay that onto kind of this biblical narrative, what the Bible is, is teaching us, and we read scripture through our cultural paradigm. And when we do that, sometimes we miss some subtleties in the word of God that really change everything. And so when we think about calling from a Western American perspective, even in the English language, if you were to talk to someone secular who's outside the church and say, hey, what is your calling? 
they would probably say something like one of two things. They would say, well, you know, I don't really think of my job as a calling. It's more just like a paycheck. Or maybe if they were like an educator or a doctor or something, they would say, um, oh, absolutely, like I, I feel called to this profession, this vocation, right? It is, it is a part of who I am. It's why I get up in the morning. It's the reason I live. Like this is my calling. And so from a Western paradigm, there's maybe these three things. There's identity, vocation, and location. Identity, who am I? When we look at scripture, we, we tend to say, okay, who did God uniquely create me to be? I need to find out, right? That's kind of stressful. It's really stressful for our kids. Have you noticed that? Man, there's a generation of people going, I have no idea who I am, but I'm really supposed to know. There's vocation. What am I called to do? What is, what is my job? What, what, what am I uniquely talented to do? And, and when will I arrive at doing the thing that God called me to do? Have I already arrived? Or is there another calling that I'm supposed to figure out now? And then there's location. Where am I called to go? Am I called to the nations? Am I called to ministry? Am I called to my workplace? Am I called to stay at home? And I have no doubt that God has a plan for our lives. He's a good God. He, all the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be. David says in the Psalms, he said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God's will for us, his plan for us, his calling is not like the, the elusive bucket of gold at the end of the rainbow. That if we make all of the right course corrections in life, maybe we'll get there. That's not the way that, that God works. He doesn't tease us. He's not trying to, you know, like, oh, let's see how good you do with this one. He's a loving God. So a biblical idea of calling looks a little bit more like this. He calls us, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, um, but I want to kind of introduce the idea first, and then we'll go and look at a lot of scriptures that back it up. So in, in scripture, if we look, what are we called to do in scripture? I think it can be summed up in three things. We are called to know him. In uh, Romans 1, 6, I think it says, um, we are, oh, what does it say? I can't remember, I have to look it up. Um, but it says we're called into fellowship with him. We're called his children. In John 10, he calls us by name, like a, a, um, a shepherd calling his sheep. We're called into a close and intimate relationship with him where we discover who he is. That's our calling. And we're called to become like Christ. We're called to be conformed into his image. To be sanctified, to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 1, it says that we are called to be holy just as the one who called us is holy. And holiness can be intimidating, but I, when I think about it, we're called to be holy his. Just holy his, set apart for him. We're called to be different from the world around us in the same way that Jesus was different. But we can't get there without knowing him, right? 
We don't know how Jesus would respond in this situation if we don't know him. We had this funny thing happen the other day. I just recently got a new phone because I have a tendency to like walk and throw my phone. And so um, I went to get a new phone and then I was, I was trying to book a flight and I had to log into um, the United app with my husband's information um, because I don't have any miles, but he does. And so um, I was logging into the app and it said, okay, we have some, uh, I, don't, I don't know, oh, it doesn't recognize my device. We don't recognize this device. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I have to look up the password and then it's like, okay, well, we need to ask you these security questions. And I'm like, oh man, okay, darn it. And it was, it was weird stuff. Like um, there are four different questions. One of them is like, what month did you meet your significant other? And I was like, yes, I have this one. I got it. And then there was, what is your favorite genre of movie? There were like 80 options of genres of movies. Who knew there were that many options? But you know what? I got it right. I did. I can't tell you what it was because then you can log into all of our accounts. Okay, and then um, <laughs> there was, what is your favorite musical instrument? How in the world am I supposed to pick? There were so many musical instruments, but I picked it. I got it right. And then there was this one, it was, what color was your childhood home? Now, I have been around Justin watching movies, and I know a little bit about his taste in country music. Um, but I was not there, you know, when he was a kid. But I will tell you that I have listened to a story or two, and I got it right. <laughs> I did. I got it right. I would not have known how Justin would respond to those questions if I didn't know him. And if we want to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus, we have to know how he would respond. And and we, we arrive at that by walking with him day in and day out and discovering who he is little by little. And finally, the third one, we're called to glorify God. The Westminster Catechism, it says, what, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that mean? We just like praise and stuff? To glorify God means that we see his glory, we see him as he really is, we enjoy it, and then we reveal it to the world around us. We reveal the the nature of God to the world around us. That's how we glorify God. And in a lot of different places in scripture, we'll see this, that we are called to share in the glory of Christ Jesus. So from a Western paradigm, we think um, that calling is about my identity, my vocation, my location. But when we look at scripture, it's really more about God's identity. My calling is not that I would figure out who I am, it's that I would figure out who he is and that I would be more like him. Our calling isn't as much about what we're called to do. Specifically, it's a whole lot more about what God is doing. What is God doing in the earth and how can I be a part of that? And it's not so much happening in a specific location that you have to figure out or you're going to miss out on it. It's about how can I be faithful to the call of God right here in this place that maybe I don't even like? What does it look like to be faithful to the call, to follow the call right where I'm at? 
to reveal the nature of God in my current circumstance. Sometimes we get so caught up asking God what we're supposed to do and doing stuff because we think it's what God wants us to do that we miss that, don't we? You guys ever missed it? Like just, man, I've gotten so busy doing stuff for God that I've just missed it. I was reading an article this week. It just happened to be this week in Desiring God. It was called Losing Christ in My Christianity, something like that. And the author said this. He said, I have busied myself with good and even godly pursuits. Those that are from him and to him and through him, but they are not him. And to my surprise, I began to lose Christ of all places in my Christianity. And losing sight of him here seems subtler, easier. It's like what Josh talked about a few weeks ago, right? That um, the Lord offers us the real thing, the real strawberry. And sometimes we get so far away. We're eating like strawberry candy. doesn't even have any strawberry in it. But it feels like strawberry. Sometimes that's where we get to in our faith. We're running after things that seem like maybe they have something to do with God. But we're missing him. When I was in my early 20s, um, Justin and I had just graduated from Texas A&M University. And, yeah, and um, we, had gra- we had gotten married in August after our senior year, and we had graduated the following December. And uh, I was going into education, so I wasn't working anywhere yet. And Justin had a job. We were living in Houston, Texas. And so I had a lot of time on my hands, really for the first time in a really, really long time. Um, And I remember pacing back and forth in our little den in Houston, Texas, in our first house, um, laying on my face on this wood floor and just crying out to God and saying, God, what do you want for me? Like, what am I supposed to do? I was really, I longed to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to hear his voice. and, And he had just, I felt like he had been silent And man, I had so much anxiety. I really did. God, what am I going to do with my life? You're supposed to tell me. You know, I mean, that's what they say. Tell me. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm pacing back and forth in my living room, just crying out to God. Um, interestingly, so if you look at calling in, in Scripture, uh, when you see in the Old Testament, just to like in the English translation, in the Old Testament, like the vast majority of time, when it's used, people are calling out to God. But in the New Testament, the vast majority of the time that it's used, God is actually calling to people. And a lot of times, I'm not saying that we shouldn't cry out to God, but I'm saying the tables have turned because God is not far off. He is not hiding from us. He is, he is right here with us. He's calling out to us. And so if you're not hearing a really like clear call from God, you don't have to be anxious because he's got enough to get in your way and tell you to change course if you need to. He's a God that calls out to us. Anyway, but I was calling out to God and I was very serious about it. And, um, and so I heard so clearly um, the Lord say to me, um, my vision for your life is my image. And I was so mad, you know, because I cannot do that. 
and I just wanted him to tell me what to do. And so like a moody teenager, I literally, in the living room, threw my head back and went, oh, that is so not helpful. That is not helpful at all. Like I have, I have, I want to do something with my life. And the Lord so clearly said, Lauren, it does not matter what you do. If you are not conformed into my image, you'll waste your life. And I felt so convicted that the Lord was like, I am not even going to tell you what to do because you're going to screw it up if I do. It's a really dangerous thing to bear the name of Jesus and to think that we're doing something for him, but to not bear his image too. It has to be both and. It needs to be. How many terrible things have been done in the name of Jesus by people who did not know him, but were doing something for him? I mean, there's like crusades that men have to give account for. And they were passionate about doing something for God. Then they thought they were right, but they did not know him or they never would have done it. And the same thing can be true in ministry or in anything else. That when we think that we're doing something for God, but we don't take the time to know him and to be trained by the Holy Spirit, to to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and to submit to him, man, we can be really hurtful. There is a world full of people who will tell you, I like Jesus actually a lot, but I don't go to church. I've been hurt by church. They've been hurt by people who bore the name of Jesus, but not his image. And at some level, that's all of us. Because bearing his image is something that it's, it, we come to do it little by little, right? And it's not like we don't get saved and all of a sudden we just just like Jesus. Little by little, we come to know him and we submit to the work of his Holy Spirit within us. And he teaches us. He convicts us of sin. And we submit to him. And then... And then we have the freedom to reveal him to the world around us. Not a God who is hurtful and judgmental and angry, but a God who invites us to know him, to know his love. Um, In Romans 8, we're going to look at Romans 8, 28 through 30. Um, This is a really important uh, passage on calling, and I think one that we screw up a lot. So um, I wanted to touch on it for... just a little bit at least. So Romans 8.28, it'll be familiar to you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is a really great example of when we take our paradigm and we read this through our cultural idea, we come up with something that's really not what the scripture says. Because a lot of times when people read this, what they hear is, if I'm following God's will, it's going to go well. Right? If I'm following God's will, it's going to go well. God's going to make it all work out good for me. But the problem is that this is, that is not what this passage is saying. In fact, um, in the passage just before this, Paul has just said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he says that it is God's purpose that through the children of God, God would reveal to the earth itself and to all peoples the nature and the glory and the grandeur of God. And then he says, and we know 
that in all things God works for the good of those who have this calling to reveal me to the world around them for, because, in other words, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, the good that God is working toward for all of us is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And then he'll go on to say in just a few verses later, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword separate us from God? No, in all these things, we will be more than conquerors. Does that sound like it's going to work out? Happy. It doesn't. We're going to be more than conquerors no matter what we encounter because God is going to redeem the bad stuff that happens in our lives and use it to conform us into his image so that the glory of God can go forth into the world and people can know him. It goes on to say in verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Justified, never sinned. I am pure and, and worthy before him. And those he justified, those he brought near to him, he also glorified. He made like him. The word that's used in the New Testament and in here in this passage in Romans is the Greek word kaleo. And I don't always go to the Greek because I'm no scholar, but I actually think it's really relevant in a lot of ways, so we're going to do it. So kaleo, it means to call to someone in order that they may come or go somewhere, as in a shepherd calling his sheep to call forth authoritatively, to invite, to appoint, or to give a name. And in the New Testament, when God calls us to something, it, it's not merely an invitation, because the one calling is the one who spoke the world into existence. You know? When God speaks, there's a power that goes forth. It's a creative power that, that comes when God speaks. And so when he calls you, there's a, there's a power that's associated with it. In the New Testament, when we talk about calling, it's more than an invitation. It's an invitation that creates a response. And it causes the hearer to willingly, to joyfully accept that invitation. And each of you who is here tonight, you've received that call. You heard the call of God at one point in your life, and it stirred something up inside of you. You've been called to belong to him, to know him. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. In, first, in 2 Timothy 1, 9, it says that God called you because of his own purpose. He did it because he wanted to, not because of anything you've done. You've already been called and you can't get uncalled because you didn't make the call happen. Kaleo occurs um, over like 150 times, almost 150 times in the New Testament. And, and I think this is significant. 80%, at least 80% of those times, it's in the past tense. So maybe we're not waiting on God to call, to tell us what he's called us to do. He's waiting on us to follow the call. The call's already gone forth. You've already been called. You've already been invited. Like, come on. Follow the invitation. Um, 
Lastly, this is really interesting. The word Holy Spirit, the word that's used for Holy Spirit in the New Testament is, um, is the word uh, parakletos. And it's a combination of two words, para, with or alongside, and kaleo, to call. And so we're called, and the Holy Spirit is given to us to come alongside us and call us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not God's will that we would just go and, and do the calling and be like Jesus. He's given us his Holy Spirit to make it happen. So I want to look at a number of passages in the New Testament where this word kaleo is used. There's a lot of them. I mean, like I said, there's like 150, right? So we're not going to hit them all. But I want to hit a few of them, and I want to talk about what would it be like to respond to this call? What does it mean? What does this call mean? So, um, and some of this is going to be interaction. Some of them we'll, we'll go through um, more quickly. But John 10, we're called by name. The shepherd calls his sheep by name, and they know his voice called by name. In Acts 2, um, we are called to repent and be baptized. In fact, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for those who are far off and those who are near and for all those whom God will call. If God has called you, then you get to receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit when you repent and believe. So there's, there is an action. You've got to do something about it. In Romans 1, we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To belong to him. In 1 Corinthians 1, it's we're called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. When we talk about that, I know we've already talked a little bit about knowing Jesus today, but, um, but I would love to hear from you guys. What, what does that evoke in you? You are called to belong to him. And we can actually pass the microphone around and, and uh, see. Does anyone have anything? What does that mean to you? You're called to belong to him. Yeah. I feel like when you know that you're called, there's a peace that comes in it. Mm -hmm. that the calling is, like you said, it's irrevocable. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to lean into the world, this earthly realm, mm -hmm. for any sort of validation because you've okay. already been validated with the calling. Amen. That's good. That's good. We don't have to work to belong to him. He's chosen us. He's called us his children. Go. I think for me, the phrase invitational surrender mm. for me is what's been ringing even like these past like two sermons and then yours when you ask these questions, it just rings so clear. Invitation, invitational surrender to me. Mm -hmm. And in that surrender, having that trust and that faith mm -hmm. that comes alongside it. That's good. That's good. Um, in Song of Solomon is a beautiful allegory of God's pursuit and his love for us. 
And in the very beginning, um, he's pursuing his bride. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people refer to it as the church, um, and others refer to it as a personal pursuit. Mm -hmm. um, and when she first starts to listen to all the words he says about her, her beauty, her majesty, she mm -hmm. goes, no, 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 but you don't understand. I am a Rose of Sharon or a Lily of the Valley. Mm -hmm. And what she means by that is that she's ordinary. She's plain. She's a wildflower. She grows in the valley. She, she's nothing. And he looks at her and says, but to the other maidens, you are compared to thorns. Hmm. To belong to God is to be set apart in such an individual way that there is no comparison to anyone else around you. That's good. That's so good. That's beautiful. Um, I, I was telling Dan last week after the you know uh, the calling, you know the when. Uh, Jesus walked by um, Peter and Andrew, and he said, you know, come, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. And I said, you know, so we all read that verse, and we think, oh, we're all called to be fishers, fisher for men, fisher for men, fishermen. And I said, you know what, I think he, he used that language to them because they were fishermen. Mm -hmm. That's what they knew. Mm -hmm. that they, they, they could identify, oh, yeah, to fish for men. And I, I always thought, you know, we all say we're all called to be fishers, fishers for men, and, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm called right now to be a fireplace salesman for, for him. <laughs> and I always thought, well, well Lord, what, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know, and, um, and he, he revealed to me that when I walk into somebody's house to give them an estimate or I have somebody call up on the phone or there's a problem with a product we sold or whatever, that I have to be so in tune with him that if the opportunity comes up mm -hmm. to reveal Christ to them through how I act or what I say mm -hmm. or what I do, that I am fishing for men. I, I'm able to influence them for Christ. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, you know, how does that, how does, what does that mean for me? Well, maybe you're called to be a, a teacher mm -hmm. for him or an engineer for him mm -hmm. or a... Uh, a car wash owner for him. Mm -hmm. God gives us all opportunities almost every day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we have to manipulate conversations around to presenting the gospel. Mm -hmm. I, I've had people do that to me before, <laughs> and that just bugs me. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to manipulate anything. We just have to be open mm -hmm. and aware, and God will present the opportunity when, it, when it's mm -hmm. his timing. Yeah. To, to, to be an influence for someone. So when, when God says, you know, drop your nets and come, I'll make you fishers. Men, just think of your own occupation. You know, God can't mm -hmm. use you where you're not. Yeah. He can only use you where you are right now. Mm -hmm. Now, if he That's calls good. you to something else, fine. Mm -hmm. But where you are right now, how can he use you? And yeah. that, I think, is what means to belong to him is to just... yeah. Lord, just let me be open and ready to give a response if mm -hmm. it comes up. Yeah, where I am right now. So good. Um, there's a passage in scripture. It says that godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. That when we are just like Jesus in our current situation right now, it's a great gain. 
There's incredible fruitfulness in that. Um, we're going to move on. So in, um, I, I have the wrong uh, location. In 1 Corinthians 1, actually, verse um, 24, it says this, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you have been called by God and you have, then Christ is the power of God dwelling in you and the wisdom of God dwelling in you. What does it look like to follow that call in the world around us? What would it look like? So... I've been reading Jeremiah uh, through, I'm reading through the books of the prophets for, for Lent, and I'm going through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is chapter after chapter telling the Israelites and people of Judah how terrible they are, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that they're not following God's call, I mean, yeah. basically. And in the middle of this, um, there's this um, small two-verse section in Jeremiah 9, and when you said that um, about the wisdom, it just jumped out, and here's what it says, verse 22 of chapter 9, or sorry, verse 23, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or of their wisdom, or of, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in mm -hmm. these I delight, declares the Lord. And as you were just talking about that wisdom, I think many times we want to boast in our own wisdom, mm -hmm. but it's solely about knowing him and mm -hmm. his wisdom mm -hmm. that we're called. Yeah. I think so often when, when we think about the wisdom of God, God sees things differently than we see things, right? And the wisdom of God is the ability to see what God sees, to perceive what God perceives in a situation and to act accordingly, to respond like I was talking about earlier, to respond in the way that he would respond. And, and we have to know him. It comes out of this place of, of knowing him. I know how he would respond. I know how he sees that person. Just know it. I'll try to make this one pretty quick. Um, so I do snow removal. Um, it's a big part of my business, and I do snow removal for Amazon. We have some really large accounts that we do. Well, this year, I felt like um, I was leaving DIA, and that week, I was supposed to re-sign my contract with Amazon, and I was, I was coming back from DIA to go home. I drove past from the Amazon, one of the Amazons we do, and I felt like the Lord told me not to take it. And so like a normal person or to like any anyone that's not walking in the wisdom of God you're nuts that's, that's crazy that's the <laughs> six figure contract and um I didn't take it um we they want every year we've taken it on a seasonal um on a seasonal contract where it's like a set rate no matter what mm -hmm. and I was really trying to move my business to doing all hourly stuff and they refused to do it well a month into it um I ended up getting a couple other contracts, um, got screwed really bad. And I'm, I'm like doubting myself. And the Lord's like, mm -hmm. no, trust me, like I got you. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon calls me and they say, hey, the people that we fired have completely failed. Um, we'll put you on it hourly. And I upped my rates by like 40%. And they were like, sure, done, signed contract. And um, it's been like one of the best snow seasons we've ever had. 
Nice. So in the midst of it, like trusting in your own wisdom mm-hmm. and um, is, is where you can fail, but leaning into him is where you come out victorious. So Yeah, that's good. All right, Galatians 5, it says that um, you were called to freedom. Don't let anyone make you a slave again because you have been called to be free. And I'll talk about this one because I know we don't have all night. Um, And I want to talk about some others too. But, um, man, what does it mean that we're called to be free? I think this is a really exciting one because what it means to me is that no longer are we a slave. We don't have to be mastered by anything. We're no longer a slave to our impulses, to our desires, to our cravings. Do you know that people who don't have Jesus really are slaves to those things? We really are. But when Jesus comes into our lives, he sets us free so that we don't have to be a slave again to sin, a slave to our impulses, a slave to our offenses, to our unforgiveness, to our brokenness, to our childhood trauma. We don't have to be a slave to it anymore. We don't have to be a slave to fear. We don't have to be a slave to insecurity When, when he calls us, he calls us into a place of freedom from those things. Man, it is good news. It's really good news that we are free. We're free from addiction. Sometimes we got to work at it. Sometimes he does it in a minute. Ephesians 1 and 4, this is maybe my favorite one. It says, you were called to hope. Man, the world needs to see hope. It does. There is a generation of kids that if you stood in front of them and said, define hope for me, they would look at you like, I have no idea what hope is. They're hopeless. Hopelessness they know. And they're committing suicide at unprecedented rates because hopelessness is really familiar to them. They need hope for you and for me to lay hold of the hope to which we were called. They need that. What does it mean to walk in hope? I actually um, was praying through this the other day and I was like, God, I don't know that I know what that means. Like, I don't think about that a lot. What What is your living hope? What is that? And the Lord reminded me of the scripture, and I think it's Hebrews 10, um, where it says that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. And it's referring to the access that we have into the presence of God, that the access that we have into the presence of God that is unhindered, there's nothing that gets in the way of it, that that hope is an anchor for our souls. Because God's presence is peace no matter how chaotic things are. And God's presence is steadfast in adversity. There's a steadfastness in him when things are going poorly. There's a hope. There's a joy in the midst of even grief. There's comfort because his presence is is comforting. And his presence is our hope. My hope, truly, like I, I don't know what things will happen in the world. I don't know if bad things will happen in my life, but I know that no matter what happens, he is really good. He is good. He has been good to me in situations where I should not have known goodness. That's hope. 
Let's lay hold of hope. Colossians 3 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts and your minds because as members of one body, you were called to peace. So I just love it. I love that we're not running after frantically God's calling for our lives. Instead, we've been invited into peace. That's a good invitation. That's like a, that's a gospel. That's a good news for people. You've been invited into peace. What does that look like for you in your life? What does it look like that you have been invited into the peace of God? How can we share that with the world? Anyone? I feel like the, the verse that comes to mind is when Jesus invites us to take his yoke mm. and to rest because mm-hmm. the peace of God is at rest because he's sovereign over all things mm. and he's powerful over all things. So inviting people into his peace is inviting them to rest from the stress of, of controlling and managing everything. Yeah, so good. That's so true. You will interact with a lot of people in the course of your life that do not want your religion. right? But you will interact with very few people who do not want peace. We long for it. We've been invited into it. And when you can reveal the peace of God to the people around you, whether you're selling fireplaces or teaching school or stay at home with your kids, when you can reveal the peace of God, people see a Jesus that they want to be included in. We'll run through the rest of these because I know it's getting late. In 2 Thessalonians 2, it says that we are called to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus and to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In 1 Timothy 6, we're called to take hold of eternal life. There's some action involved. Take hold of it. In 2 Timothy 1, we're called to a holy life to be wholly his and to be different in all the same ways that he's different. In Hebrews 9, we are called to receive an eternal inheritance. That's a good call. You're called to receive an inheritance from God that is eternal. In 1 Peter 1, we are called to be holy like Jesus is holy. In 1 Peter 2, called out of darkness and into the light. In 1 Peter 3, we are called to endure suffering joyfully without complaining. That is also very not culturally something that people do. So when you are free to endure suffering with joy, you reveal the nature of God and the peace of God to the world around you that is enduring some really hard things. We are called to his eternal glory. In 2 Peter, we are called to participate in his divine nature. You have been invited to participate in the divine nature of God. In First Peter, in First John three, we're called the children of God. Um, I love what Paul says in Philippians three, and we're about to wrap up, I promise. But in Philippians three, he basically says, "Not that I have attained all this; I have not gotten there yet." Hold on, it's pulled up on my phone. Um. But I press on to take hold of the goal for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. 
in Christ Jesus. And so when we look at all these things and think, I don't know that I walk in hope. I don't know that I don't know that I'm walking in peace on a daily basis. I don't know that I'm sharing in the divine nature, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Like sometimes, you know, we don't have to sit here and go, oh man, there's no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on to lay hold of it. When we go out from here today, I want us to go out saying, God, I feel hopeless, but you are hope. You've called me to hope. I want you to teach me about hope today because I didn't know about it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, we'll close with this. It says this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, make you like him increasingly, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We have a part to play. We really do. But he has given his Holy Spirit to you, and he has purposed in his heart to accomplish it to conform you into the image of Christ Jesus. Man, we worship a really good God. It's really good news. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that, um, that we would, I want to follow this call. I thank you that your call is not trickery. Um, it's, it's not something I have to like know the formula and do the entire equation perfectly and then maybe I'll get there. I thank you that your call is an invitation to you. And God, we want to be trained by your spirit to be more like you. We long for that. We know that you're good and we want people to see you the way that you really are. God, would you empower us by your spirit to show people, Jesus, who you really are. I ask you, Lord, that people would go out of here today with contentment, with just the grace to be right where they are and to be with you there. And I ask that we would go with your power to bear fruit in that situation, God. Father, we worship you because you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of it all. Whatever it costs us, we know that you're worthy of it. And God, where, where we have doubted that, would you show us your glory? So that we won't doubt it anymore. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.